Welcome to the Strategy Mom Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have a very special guest. I have the oh so famous Mr. Brian <laughs> Allen in the house. Brian, what's going on, Uh-oh. man? <laughs> Everything's going well, you know? It's a crazy day counting the election votes. and Yeah, man, I, for you, it's it, got to be nuts. Now, it is. It, I, I have to yes. ask, because you had to, you had to go lower. Was it lowering your thermostat or raising your I, thermostat before I, we started? I did to lower the temperature. Yeah, it's, it's too I mean, hot. California. And I'm like, it snowed the other day uh, where I am. So you're in sunny California. Wow. I'm just feeling well, a little jealous. It, yeah, only in California do we have global warming. Nowhere yeah, else. It doesn't exist Just anywhere else, all right? Right. <laughs> hey, Brian, for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now and don't know your story or how you kind of got started in the industry, I thought that'd be a really cool place to just kind of kick off today's podcast. So so what is the origin story that is Brian Allen? <laughs> well, I got to go back to when I was five years old and I got my first Hot Wheel. That's that's where it started. And, uh, so I started actually trading Hot Wheels, and I kid you not, I had no idea it was a precursor to getting into the car business, but I'm probably one of the few that actually grew up through elementary school all the way through high school and college saying, I want to sell cars for a living, while everybody else wanted to be a doctor, lawyer, or stockbroker. That's totally true. That's but, pretty rare. Uh, <laughs> It, it very rare, and uh, people laughed at me. But the funny thing is, I started making more money than all my stockbroker and doctor and lawyer friends, and I was actually happy. <laughs> but yeah, that's good. Uh, I did. I started actually when I was 18 years old on my 18th birthday selling cars at Keys Motors in Los Angeles, actually Van Nuys, at their brand new Mazda store, and uh, I was promptly fired 30 days later. Um, because I cared too much about the customer. It was kind of crazy. But even back then, uh, I wanted to walk them through the process and take a long time to deliver the car and make sure they knew everything. And that wasn't really how things went. It was kind of uh, kiss them goodbye as soon as they signed the dotted line. And uh, uh, that was fortuitous, though, because then I went to Beverly Hills, Lincoln Mercury. And this is 1980. By the way, 40 years ago. <laughs> it's a good time to still sell Lincolns. Oh, my God. Well, the funny part, we had Peugeot and Lincolns. Oh, wow. And the, the Lincolns, uh, you know, for a fully loaded one, were about 18 grand. And they had, a uh, at that time, a big rebate of 500 bucks. But interest rates were 19%. So yeah, I have you know, to everyone, laugh. Everyone doesn't remember double-digit interest rates. Oh, you know, we're sitting my, here, people are complaining about 1.99. I'm like, you got nothing. Don't, don't I, You know, it was to, to bite my lip in recent. Uh, I, I retired from retail uh, at Galpin Motors after 33 years in 2018. And when customers would come in and say, can you do better than 0.9? You know, I just, I, I had to, I go into my story. I say my first mortgage was 17% in 1983, you know, but uh, so I've loved the car business. Again, uh, 
I, Beverly Hills Lincoln, I put myself through Cal State Northridge, and then I joined the Galpin family, uh, what became Galpin Premier Collection in 1985, and I opened nine of Galpin's franchises. Of course, they're famous for the Ford store in Los Angeles, Galpin Motors, uh, the patriarch, Bert Bachman, and now uh, his uh, one of his sons, Bert uh, Bo Bachman, runs it, and what an amazing family, and it was so so blessed that to to run a group of, of nine stores. We had Aston Martin or have Aston Martin, Volvo, Jag, Lincoln, formerly Mercury. We even had Saturn, which was amazing. Uh, really sad to see that franchise go, but basically uh, I opened stores and then in, uh, I oversaw multiple stores for a long period of time, and then I also uh, got into tech and I. Uh, my buddy Ruben Munoz, who's now a VP of Dealer Socket, actually did one of the first dealer internet websites in the in the United States that I know of. For I, I, yeah, I think I've heard of that company before, right? Yeah, yeah, de- yeah it's, uh, that Socket. small little company. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ruben's amazing. He he started in the rental car department at Galpin and became the director of e-commerce and and put Galpin way ahead of the curve and never looked back. So. I, I'm a car guy true and through. Uh, today, I'm in a different part of the car business. I'm in mobility, and I'm the senior vice president of Hire Car, and we help dealers get into mobility and and help leverage their current infrastructure to earn more money renting cars that eventually get sold to drivers. So we can talk about that later if time permits. But absolutely, uh, For I sure. love it. You know, you know what's funny is uh, I actually kind of had a, a similar path into cars. Um, my my very first business was Big J's Pit Stop, and it was at the local drag strip. And um, it was, drag racing was just something that the family did, oh. and I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. And I would go out there, and all the kids would be running around like crazy, and the the adults were trying to you know you know get them just to slow down, sit down, or right? it's a dangerous place to be running around. Yeah. <laughs> so I opened up. It was a ten by ten foot tent. And I set up these tables, and I got all these Hot Wheels, and I got them on consignment, actually, from a hobby store. So I didn't have to pay for the inventory. Oh, wait a minute. And, You're ahead of the curve. And, 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 and instead of selling them for, you know, the 50 cents or, you oh. know, a dollar a piece, I was selling them for 2 $3 a piece. And I remember wait the parents, a minute. I, oh, it over was sticker? Oh, it was over sticker. <laughs> and I remember the parents would come by, and they, they'd be going like, You're crazy. Come on. Seriously? For that? And then I would show them, and I built this big, like, 20-foot-long track. And oh. had like 10 different like, you know, tracks you can do it. And really the parents realized is that, oh, I'm not just buying a uh, Hot Wheel. I'm buying 30 minutes of my kids now playing with this and you're babysitting them. I'm like, yeah, now you, you were, get it. You were, oh, fantastic. <laughs> it was great. They'd give, they'd give the kids like 10 or 20 bucks and they'd sit there and then they'd go put a car down the track and it was too slow then they come back and buy another one <laughs> it was it, it, it was great but that yeah no hot wheels it's but i find i find i find that this industry does kind of attract that type of kind of entrepreneur kind of kind of hustler you know type type characters and yeah. it's like so so yeah i mean it, it's funny how many people i've had an opportunity to talk to and it, we have 
lot of similarities of kind of backgrounds and stuff. So I think that's so cool. Well, you know, Brian, I want to get into kind of some of the topics that uh, uh, we talked about earlier, you know, and you'd written a couple articles that had caught my eye and we were just, we were, we agree on so many levels. I was like, I got to have this guy on, like we got to chat uh, more about it. Now, one of the things, the first thing I want to talk to you about today, which is a big one for me, is kind of dealership employee empowerment. You know, I'm a firm believer that a happy employee creates a happy customer. Amen. But you got some really cool thoughts on this. So let, let's jam, let's go into that. How do you define dealership employee empowerment and how does a dealership go about executing that? Well, you know, to define it is, is that give an employee enough authority that they can handle, you know, and, and it, it, it boils down to, frankly, what something you just said, which was just sums it up, is a happy employee is going to create a happy customer, really. And also most customers, you know, look, we're all customers. We don't want to deal with three people to make a transaction. And, you know, unless you have to, right? Now you go to the doctor, first you see the receptionist, then you see the nurse, then you see the doctor. That's, it's kind of understood. But wouldn't it be a pleasant surprise if the doctor greeted you and then you just stayed with the doctor? (laughs) Maybe a little unrealistic. (laughs) Yeah, maybe a little unrealistic. But in the car business, what we know is traditionally we've had many people involved in the process because maybe right, maybe wrong. We felt it helped the dealership earn more revenue. And, you know, for the longest time, most dealerships said a finance department has to be absolutely separate from the sales department because the the customer's done with the salesman once they agree to buy a car. They need a fresh face to buy after sales items, whether it's a warranty or paint sealant. And that that person's going to have more energy because their their income is based on those sales. And and pretty hard to prove wrong until a pandemic comes. <laughs> and- yeah, it's just it was just. Like, and of course, we love, you know, in our business, we're made up of three-letter acronyms and four-letter words, right? Yeah. And, and I just I could never stand the, the the term that we can't the box. Yes. The box. Although I mean, talk about although a horrible, it, horrible place to send your customers. <laughs> and and be, basically, customers would agree with that term, right? It's solitary confinement for the the part of the journey that should be the most pleasant. You've already negotiated, exactly. right? Now we're going to put you in a square box. And some dealerships didn't even have glass. One one of the things about Galp and Bert Bachman, he hated being locked in a, a, a four walled room, and and he made everything glass. All the offices were glass. Oh, that, you, that's that's nice. I you remember know, I remember some offices being like a closet. Yes, yes. So going back to the employee empowerment. So um, a lot of debate for digital retail of you know how can we give the customer the option to select their own uh, after sales items, paint sealant, alarms, warranties, etc. And you know everyone's scared to make that leap because dude, we got to protect the golden goose. We know that this is working the majority of the time, except if you have the customer ask the customer. The customer's full of anxiety about buying a car because of that going in the box. So tools have been out really the last 10 years to uh, for progressive dealers to start allowing the salesman to do more of the F&I process. But now, you know, necessity becomes the mother of invention. The pandemic hits and you're, you're first of all, you're lucky if your finance manager showed up because uh, they tended to be the little bit older person yeah, in the organization and they were scared of COVID. Now, what do we have to do? Well, we're forced 
to have the salesperson do as much of the process as possible. And something beautiful happened. And I can say this firsthand because uh, I know that it happened at Galpin. They realized that, oh my goodness, not only are customers happier, but the process is happening faster. And contrary to popular belief, <laughs> the, the, the world is round. It's not yeah. flat. Isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah. People are buying more product because they're more comfortable with the process. So uh, it's a wonderful thing. And, and employee empowerment goes even further. I, I started the dealership as technology improved, having the salespeople appraise cars. And you want to talk about sacrilegious, um, but <laughs> yeah, you know, no kidding. <laughs> well, here was an easy test. I took five of our appraisers at Galpin and I had them appraise the same car and they were, they had a 30 to 40% variance. Oh, that's huge. Right. Very common. Now, if I'm going to have that kind of variance with professionals, how much worse could it be with salespeople? And, and the customer's more comfortable with the salesperson. Now you have word tracks, right? You don't say how many people died in that accident when you see a dent. What you say is, oh, I'm glad you didn't fix that because we can fix it cheaper. You know, if the tires are bald, <laughs> the tires are bald, you don't say, holy mackerel, it's a good thing you're still alive. You, you say, glad you didn't replace those tires we can do it cheaper. So now the customer's feeling not beat up about their car. When they get a valuation and they're part of the process, they understand it and they're not seeing Guido go over there and look like he's about to break the car in half. Well, you so, know what? I, I just wanted to stop you there one second. I think it's super, super important what you just said there is getting the customer involved in it. But for us right. to, to, to allow, for us to get the customer involved, we have to empower our employees with a process and technology to do so. You'd get a kick out of this. I had a Mitsubishi dealership. Um, and, um, you know, look, I was a Mitsubishi dealership. <laughs> okay, challenging brand right from the uh, beginning. They're <laughs> one of my favorite dealerships at the moment on our mobility platform. Okay, I'll just well, that's know. cool. That's cool. But, I mean, look, it, it, it came with its challenges. You know, but, you know, I, I wanted a flag out front because I needed to get a floor plan. And that's what you had to do to get a floor plan. And it was just like, OK, so I got a Mitsubishi dealership. It was pretty much a used car dealership with a flag out. Very front. smart, by um, the way. Very smart. <laughs> well, you, you had to. Right. It was something along that lines. No, no um, I knew that I had to close at 45 percent for me to just cover my monthly nut. Like that was it. Like and, and the thing, there wasn't an option. Like, it wasn't right. like it wasn't like this was a good idea. It was like no. <laughs> it was like there was only going to be so many people that were going to walk to my dealership every uh, every day or every month, and I had to close that much. So so it was, you know, uh, there was this um this famous quote that I remember saying is like you know you 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 don't you know you first you first work with a customer and then you work back towards technology. So you identify the goal and then work back towards. And too often I think as dealerships we start with the technology and just assume the technology is going to answer the, or uh, create mm. the goal and objective or make the customer happy. Um, here's some funny thing you get a kick out of this is what we did is is we took the the pricing which you know is like almost like just as much fun as the box right. <laughs> like let me get a payment I'll fill out a, a worksheet because boy that sounds like fun work and, and then. I'll disappear in an abyss called the office, the sales manager's office for about sure. seven and a half minutes. I'll probably talk crap about you, or at least in your head, that's what you think I'm doing. Um, right. And then I'll come back with some chicken scratch on a four square, and I'm just assuming that this is supposed to be like what I'm supposed to get. So what, we, what we did at our dealership, because I had to increase close ratios, there was no other no other way around it, is we empowered not only the employee, but also the customer. We stuck the, we stuck the uh, build and price function or our desking tool on a 50-inch screen mounted up on the wall. 
and in each person in se- each salesperson's office, right? We actually got rid of right. desk because I hate desk. I hate being on one side and then you being on the other. It's like a proverbial game of like poker. And then we just had a keyboard and a mouse. Now the idea of ri- originally was that the salesperson was going to walk them through the building of the payment, and they could see it right there, so they could see total transparency. Sure. The funny thing is, I had a bunch of old guys working for me. So what they did, not knowing any better, just they just moved the keyboard and mouse over to the customer. And I was a little upset when they first started doing this. But then the crazy thing was is that our closing ratios were increasing and our profit per transaction was increasing. And it came down to the fundamental things that us as a dealership was not creating the payment. It was the customer creating Amen. the payment. And how could they argue with that? Um, right. But I, I just I wanted to bring that up because you, you, you nailed something on the head there. It was just like you had to empower the customer and the employee at the same time to be able to go yes. down that path together. I apologize for cutting you off there, but you know, please continue on, on, on how no, you do that. No, it's a fabulous example of the story. So, you know, you can imagine in this high anxiety environment that we're in today, right? COVID and, and it's, it's not ending anytime soon, you know, realize polio still is exists, right? There's a vaccine. Uh, all the diseases that ever existed really still exist, and uh, tuberculosis, all that. So w- it's it's going to be a new paradigm. And I know in the car business, you went to work sick. You know, if you had the sniffles, you had the flu, 100%. you were at work, uh, you called in sick, you, you better be close to your deathbed. Uh, today, if you sneeze, you, you're locked in a room and, you know, there's a red flag or something on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to be short of people. And so now with the, we can, we're forced to pilot something for the dealers that may still be hesitant or, uh, and didn't, weren't forced uh, to uh, get more throughput out of fewer people. So, it's a, it's actually a fabulous time for the car business. And I think Mike Jackson was just quoted from AutoNation saying, uh, you know, I feel uncomfortable saying this, but the COVID could have probably been the best thing to happen for the retail industry. And, uh, and it, and it really is one of those cataclysmic. I don't know if I can say the word right, but let's just say profound changes. No, that's, it, that's, it really we're not is. I mean, back look, from. we hate to say it, you know, but as an industry, I mean, look, we changed more in the last five to six months than we probably have right. in the last 40 years combined. Right. Like it, it just, it pushed us. And the customer yeah. has always been changing, but as an industry, we kind of just still wanted to kind of hold on to that original sure. control. Sure. And now, you know, a pandemic kicks in and we have no control. That's right. Like as dealers, we have no control over this yeah. at all. And now we got to put that control back into the customer. And that kind of leads me into my next topic with you, uh, which which is just kind of a, a, the next transition from, empl- you know, empowering your employees is that seamless online to in-store sales process, right? Again, right. we were kind of forced. And, you know, I actually have been criticized for maybe having too much tough love for our industry, but I'm going to give our industry props because we did this. Like we changed like in four months and we've been fighting it for the last 10, 15 years. Right. But I I want to get your kind of thoughts on how do you see the seamless online to in-store sales process work now and how is that going to work into the future? Sure. Well, well, first I'll start with a little bit of philosophy. Um, and then talk about the technology that's real world. So the, the first part of this is that customers actually enjoy buying a car in person, 
They, you know, they, they really do. And, and it's kind of like food, right? I, I rather be in a restaurant than have take home food, but sometimes I got to do the take home. Never yep, the same. Never the same. Now, of course, there's parts of that process that no one really enjoys, including the salesperson or the staff. So the, the online aspect that has been forced upon us because of, of the pandemic has allowed dealers to get up to speed quickly. And, and I wrote an article, I think you, you kind of referred to it at the top of this um, interview. And that was, um, did COVID just deliver a knockout punch to dealer disruptors? And uh, I think Ward's Automotive published it. And, and the whole idea was this, is that dealers sometimes are the last to the party, but they bring the best liquor. <laughs> that's, and that's a great way to describe and, it. That's awesome. and, and, you know, I'll, there's billion dollar tech companies out there that have been trying to get dealers to do digital online retailing. And they've struggled because dealers are slow to adapt until it's necessary because dealers rely on cash flow, right? Hey, this works. I'm making money. I'm able to pay my employees. They're not like the Silicon Valley companies in Wall Street where they just run on revenue, even though they're bleeding cash out the back door. So, uh, you know, you look at like Carvana, which has done a fabulous job of waking people up of what's possible. Mm -hmm. But dealers can not only match Carvana once they have woken up, which has uh, helped the pandemic, but dealers have the parts and service business. Dealers have the infrastructure already paid for typically. They, they don't have a lot of debt. Uh, certainly the majority of good ones don't, uh, unless they borrow it on purpose because interest rates are below 1% and I'll borrow all the money I can. Or their manufacturer force them to because they have to remodel their dealership, True. which they just remodeled five years ago. Sorry, source Yes, nice. <laughs> and still paying for it. Yeah. Uh, so the, the beauty here is that dealers are fabulous close followers and often pick up the spoils of war. So a lot of the tech companies that said they were going to replace the traditional detailer model, a retailer model, are now partnering with large dealer groups to execute that technology. And actually, those dealer groups are saving the bacon for these companies that were about to go out of business. And, you know, Varum, if you, a lot of people say, oh, look at Varum, they're going to crush the dealers. That's a perfect example, though. They're bringing process. They're bringing process in tech. Absolutely. And guess who funded them? AutoNation and a couple other large dealer groups are the main investors. So uh, it's, it's odd that the tech companies that predicted the demise of the dealership world uh, and extinction of dinosaurs, if you will, are now having to partner with the beast that they thought was going to be extinct. So the online process that is critical now is that take the pain points out of the process by allowing the customer if they choose to, to do as much online. Now, yes. of course, yeah, some of the processes you can execute all the way to the end. And there are a fraction, maybe I think the last numbers I saw were 3% of people in metropolitan areas that are having cars delivered to them. Now, I would argue it's only 3% because people don't want to go into a dealership and potentially expose themselves to COVID. But as, as the point. world tends to right side itself, 
if I can get my trade valuation hammered out, get my financing approved, know what my payments are going to be, pre-select my after sales items I want. And I go to the dealership to smell the car and spend the time with the happy stuff, just learning yeah, about it. That's the fun part. Like yes. I want to do the fun part. And yes. you know what it is? It's, like, it, it's giving the customer a choice, which that that's has right. never been a part of our sales efforts ever. Right. It's like, no, there's no choice, right? There's my way. Um, right. And if you're going to buy a car, you're going to have to come in. You're going to have to go through my process, not your process. Yes. And I've seen, now, here. here's my concern, Brian. I want to get your thoughts on this, is that I, I, I saw a whole bunch of dealerships shift to that because they had to, right? Because they yes. had to. But then I'm seeing this in the last few months, this false sense of success. And I'm seeing a lot of dealerships go back like they, they just want to like okay that was that was fun now we're back what do you say to the dealerships that are they're in that kind of position well I, I have a little analogy for that it's like bending wood to build a ship you're putting a lot of water on the wood and you're constantly pressing it to change its original yep. shape and the, the thing that's going to help dealers stay on this right and what I believe is the correct path to uh, online to in-store and, and employee empowerment is profits. So right now, most dealerships are making a huge amount of money because they have less people in the process. The customers are actually paying more for the privilege of enjoying the experience. And there's nothing wrong with that because no, not at all. I pay, you know, I look, we have a grocery store in California called Gelson's and basically for a bottle of water, they're at least a dollar more than a Ralph's or a Vons or any of your common stores. But when I go in, I'm never waiting in line. Everything is straight as an arrow. I have OCD. So if I see something out of line, I, I start fixing the stuff like I work there. Um, so I'm paying for the experience and my time savings. And I could argue that I'd pay a little bit more for a car or negotiate less aggressively just to get in and out quickly. So uh, we all have examples of that in other industries. And, and it's it's something the dealerships, again, close followers, but the profits are going to, uh, an employee engagement and employee oh, it, morale. It, it does, but it all comes down to convenience. Right. Yes. The, the, the reason that you you have no beef whatsoever, spending an extra dollar, a water bottle or whatever it is there is they've processed convenience for you. Yeah. And what the pandemic has done and which has forced us to do is to is to really try to connect the dots between our online and our in dealership process. Yeah, before it was always separate, right? Like I remember, right. I remember sitting down in some meetings and go, "Oh, those internet leads." Yes. Like, what are they? Are they some different person? Are they from another yeah. another world or something? Like, like internet leads, and then people inside my dealership were two entirely different individuals, and we did not uh, emphasize our efforts with them as much. And then during the pandemic, we had to. We couldn't view the online customer any different than we could the in dealership customer. So our attention to them had to be equal right yes. but it, it, but in that created convenience for the customer and, the, and to your point customer has no problem paying for convenience i right. we all pay for convenience yep. and we have no issue with that now here's the thing and this kind of leads us into my next topic is to maintain that type of convenience <laughs> right 
there's this kind of 24-7 kind of customer engagement type mentality that I, I think has to happen. And, you know, look, there were some amazing tools that I saw before the pandemic. Uh, I mean, for the last five years, I've seen some amazing tools. All of a sudden, now I see an insane amount of tools <laughs> using AI and advanced learning and machine learning, you know, conversation chatbots. Like, is, is that the direction that we have to head down towards so we can maintain this level of convenience? Well, this is this is a wonderful topic, and we could spend a day on this. But uh, yeah, let me share. I'll share your, my opinion with your question. So, this is another part of uh, omni-channel that there are some people that are hesitant to speak to a salesperson. It doesn't matter whether it's a car or or clothes, because they don't want to get to a point of feeling obligated. And frankly, I'm one of those. If if I walk no, into a clothing too. store. I'm, I'm buying a tire, a pair of socks before I leave, even if I don't need them. I just, <laughs> I, you know, if I'm taking another human being's time and they're decent and nice, I, I feel bad. But here, here's the cool thing. Um, I'm going to refer to a, a survey that was done. It's 2018, but it's still relevant. Uh, the Rikus Group, Mark Rikus, my buddy, uh, he, he did a survey uh, with Cox Automotive, uh, sponsored it, and that was, a simple question that was asked to automotive purchase and tenders and people who bought cars. And the question was this, if it were easier and stress-free to buy a car, new car or used car, would you buy one more frequently? And really 38%, 38% of the people said I would buy a car more frequently if the process was enjoyable is the bottom line. Right. Wow, that's cool. And so that that made me extremely optimistic about, first of all, the future of the car business, because I, I live in a decent area in the Hollywood Hills here. And I've got people that are they're, they're living in multi-million dollar homes and they drive a 15 year old Cadillac Lincoln Mercedes. <laughs> and yeah. it's not, it's not because they can't afford a new one. In fact, they're spending more maintaining those cars than what a lease payment would be on <laughs> a new one. Right. So when I talk to my neighbors, because of course I either approach them or they approach me about the car business, and I say, "Why haven't you bought it? You don't even have uh, side airbags. They've got airbags in cars now that come out of the sun sun visors. You know, um, turns into a marshmallow if you get in an accident." And they go, "I just can't stand buying a car. I, I, it's no offense against you, Brian, but man, it stresses me out." And uh, the the opt the the optimistic part of that is. As we make it easier, boom, we're going to do it. So going back to your point of the tools. So 24-7, I don't know about you, but most of my Amazon purchases happen after a couple glasses of wine and 10 p.m. <laughs> Brian, okay? I think you, you you must know me. I mean, you well, like, I, I just got a notification, I, actually, that one just got delivered. Don't you love that, by the way? Well, like, oh, it's it's it's, it's an endorphin. It, it's the or best something. thing ever. I'm, but I'm with you 100%. It's yeah. at the end of the night, I'm doing my editing or working on something, a couple glasses of wine. Oh, yeah, you know what? I do need another set of, yeah, no, I'm with you. Keep, concerned. Right. Go ahead, continue. And, and, and actually, well, and even for non-alcoholics, um, the the benefit is, is that people have kids and they got to put them to bed. And the only time they can have time for themselves to go online line is typically after business hours, right? Mm -hmm, 100%. So here, here's this thing called the internet. And oh boy, I can order a book online, which started, of course, with Amazon and I don't know, 98, 97, maybe 94. Um, but uh, now we're with cars, but there was a big problem. Um, you really couldn't ask questions that were relevant and would make you feel better and smarter 
offline because you had to get a hold of an internet person as you referred to. Well, now we have these conversational chatbots and this isn't the chatbot that most are on uh, being used today and certainly yeah. the ones from just a few years ago that are terrible. You know, hi, I'm Gidget and uh, what can I answer for you? And you say, well, what would a payment be on a three-year lease on a Ford Escort? And it says, I'm sorry, I can't answer that question. I'll have a salesperson call you tomorrow morning. What's, what's your email and phone number and blood Yeah, it, right. So, but today, I don't know if you've seen this movie uh, a few years ago called Her, H-E-R. Oh, it was amazing. It was really, Phoenix. really nice one. Right. Uh, or even most recently, Blade Runner, where um, the Harrison Ford character, I forget who played the doggone deal, but um, he kind of falls in love with his Alexa device. It's a yep. holographic you know, woman. And I can tell you the stuff that I have seen that is about to roll out in, and when I say about, I mean, it was going to be at NADA this year. I don't know what they're going to do because NADA is virtual, but it's conversational. We're literally like talking to uh, Alexa and I have to be careful. She's going to ask me something here in a second, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, uh, you you simply could say, Hey, tell me, uh, does Galpin Motors have, uh, the GT with package 503A, and what's a three-year lease down, uh, monthly payment with uh, no money down? You can ask, talk to it like that, and it comes back. And then on top of that, it it emails you the dialogue and emails you links to what you discussed. So the verbal becomes uh, in writing. It's it's really amazing what's going to happen. Now, the beauty is this gives you sales. The dealerships literally becomes open, open 24 hours a day. And and so this is going to be a big change This in, in really four or five months. And uh, one of the leading companies doing this now is called Car Labs. You'll hear about this company a lot in the very near future, but it it does the heavy lifting, you know, salespeople don't like to do cold calls, but these well, computers that's, don't that's mind. That's how BDCs got started. Hey, right. I mean, and, one, one of my and, first jobs outside of being a salesperson, my first job was becoming a BDC manager. And, you know, in the beginning I was like, I'm sorry, you want me to do what? <laughs> you want me to do what majority of the salesperson's job and then just hand right. it over to them. I'm like, yeah, no, not interested. And then they show me right. the pay plan. I'm like, okay, no, I can actually work with that. Um, <laughs> but, but, well, yeah, no, but that's, that's, look, it, we, it's that I always thought that in a dealership, we, we wore way too many hats. We were always kind of the jack of all trades and master <laughs> of absolutely nothing. Right. And, and I always thought it was, it was, I, and I saw, you know, through my entire time in the industry, uh, some of the most successful dealerships that I ever got an opportunity to visit or consult with or whatever, you know, really did understand that people had to own certain parts of the transaction or the presentation or right. the payment negotiation, you know, and just let people be masters of that. Um, I'm I'm thinking right now is that as, as a dealership, if you're out there and you're listening and watching this right now, you need to start having the conversation. Do you need to go run out and jump out and buy this technology right now? You may or may not, all right? But you got to have that conversation around how this can actually impact your customers. And and I think we're very open to having this conversation now because we've learned over the last four months that we can continue to do a lot with a little if we're way more efficient with our processes and our technologies. Well, and you know... um, 
this may be a sad fact, but people tend to trust technology and digital things more than they trust a salesperson who they believe has a vested interest in their own agenda. Oh, and man, and so frankly, true. you know, there's, there's going to be a little truth to that until we develop trust. So it's kind of like, well, if it's printed on the internet, it must be true. <laughs> so uh, I, I say printed, it shows you how old I am. If, but uh, the technology actually works well in the car business in this respect. I call it high tech and high touch. And we, the car business is, is a people business, but we have to break the trust barriers, or I should say the barriers to trust. And technology can help us do that. And of course, you know, you have online vehicle appraisal tools that actually today they'll even guarantee you X amount yeah. and come and pick up your car. So that trust goes a long way into getting more people into the purchase funnel. And that, that's why I'm so optimistic that I think we're, we're in for some tough times because of the pandemic, that the other shoe is going to drop about financial implications of the unemployed, especially in the hospitality, travel, you know, restaurant business, but, uh, and, and a lot of retail stores. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, but, so, I'm so glad that you, that you said that because, you know, <sighs> There's a lot of dealerships, dealerships out there that think we're back to normal. And I'm like, yeah. we, we're still only dealing with the social impact of this. Yes. We've really well not dealt with the economics yeah. of this at all. I mean, you know, I'm in Canada. You're in the U.S. Both of our governments have done a good job of creating this shield. <laughs> of like, Yeah, we're, of, we've insulated from the freezing temperatures outside. Exactly. We've kind of insulated yeah. ourselves. And we have yeah. not really felt the, the economics of this actually leads me to my my next question is I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think, you know, winter's coming. Um, no pun of Game of Thorns, but it's going to be a cold one, um, you know, and but I think dealerships need to find new revenue streams. Um, and I just want to get your kind of thought on that. I think there's just so many different opportunities out there. And I know that you have written about a few of them. So you know, new revenue sure. streams. Wh what do you if you had to pick two or three, because I know there's a lot of opportunity, if you had to pick two or three, what would be your, your number three or top three choices? Okay, this is fun. Um, well, first of all, I, I believe the dealer is the natural beneficiary of the changes in new trends of automotive. And those new trends today have to do with financing and utilization. And let me explain mm -hmm. that a little bit. So we've all recently in the last few years heard of subscription. You know, and, and an old car guy will just say, well, that's just renting a car. And well, they're right. <laughs> uh, but it's actually more on a recurring revenue model. And so tying this back to the, the potential winter where we're really going to see, we're going to have a lot of people that will not qualify for traditional financing uh, because they, they're, not e they're either not going to have a job or they're going to have a much lower income job. That's very true. And those people will struggle to get a new or used car and certainly to finance it. So subscription is gonna get from an odd source, a lift, because with subscription, you don't look at someone's credit, you look at other behaviors for them to qualify. So for example, one of them is a driving record. Are these people good custodians of a vehicle? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, right? The other is their spending habits. Did you, you know, you can buy this data today. That's a little scary, but it is what it is. And that is, where do they spend money on their credit cards? Is it the bad part of town or the good part of town? Or is it superfluous stuff? Or are they getting entrepreneur magazines? 
magazine versus mad mad libs or something you know do they still they, make those <laughs> I, I, I it just shows you how old i am i don't know i said gosh i'm so terrible but uh the the fact is is that behavior uh technology today is actually proving to be a better indicator of somebody's repayment ability than a fico score and new fintech companies are actually aligning with major banks to give them an alternative to look at somebody that, hey, I, I'm going to approve this person because they may not have a job, but they've got $150,000 in the bank and they've been solid and they're, they're a good risk. And even better, if the, they're financing a subscription program for a dealership, the customer can simply return the car if they can't afford the payment anymore. Yeah, the risk factor is not, not there as yes, much as full ownership. Right. And it's not a repossession. It's simply, I'm done with it. So dealers are, you know, so many pundits against automotive retailers have said, oh, fewer people are going to own cars in the future. More people are going to use them on demand. And pre-COVID, that certainly seemed the way things were going. Yeah. Uh, but but oddly now, more people want to acquire a car instead of using public transportation. And for those that can't qualify through traditional meetings, this is like a sophisticated buy here, pay here with, with subscription. And I don't mean this to be an advertisement for hire car, but that's what we do. We help dealers get into the on-demand rental industry, and we focus on rideshare drivers, food and package delivery to, to use cars either aged inventory or underutilized rentals or loaners, the dealer owns the car and they get revenue that way more offsets the depreciation and we insure it so that that risk doesn't belong to the dealer. And then even better, well over 30% of these people, the drivers, buy a car uh, in less than 90 days. No, no yeah, look, I mean, look, we, we, we got to have the conversation. Um, I had a dealership the other day. Um, you'll love this one. Um, used car dealership high-end vehicles, right? Had a uh, Lexus, oh, what's the long body? Is it like an SL? Yeah, the LS. The LS, the LS, yeah. right? Um, and this was even the extended version. And okay. um, just been sitting on the lot for over 100 days, just not the right car, not the right yeah. market, not 100% sure to do with it. And I said, well, we'll throw it on Turo. And they're like, what's Turo? Uh, and, and I'm yes. like, well, you own the car. All right, you get to rent it out at a daily rate, right? And 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 sure enough, they 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 did this, and within two months, they actually were able to mark the car down to a price point where they could actually then actually retail their way back out of it versus yes. wholesaling out of it. But we have to get creative, yeah. um, and you know what? And and when I say we have to, I really mean we have to because dealers, if you don't start having these conversations now, your manufacturers already are. They are. And, and the beauty here, the dealer already owns all the infrastructure to do this. 100%, right? Absolutely. They have the real estate, they have the people, they have the service department, they have all everything that they need. So literally, they don't even have to buy cars. They just use the cars they have. Now, COVID has created a, a unique bubble that dealers could pretty much sell a Schwinn bike if it's on the showroom floor today. So Holy cow, you're 100% right. I tried to buy know, one it, recently. It wasn't going to happen. Just, it, no one, you couldn't find one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. So uh, I'm really excited. Now it goes even further and it's a little further out, but it's less than five years. Autonomous vehicle fleets, who better 
to own an autonomous vehicle fleet than a dealership where the dealer has the, the neighborhood, the, 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 the relationship with their community, and people want to whistle for a car, right? It's kind of like Trigger from the Lone <laughs> Ranger, awesome. you know? And, and, and just think of that. that that's a whole nother life uh, cycle to add to the ecosystem of re traditional dinosaur Jurassic Park automobile dealers. And, and it's so exciting. It, so you know, it really, really is exciting. And I've already started to see a, um, a bit and bits and pieces of this start to come in. And, and dealers, when I say you guys need to, you need to figure this out yourselves first because your manufacturer is, I'll give you an example. Toyota has a program called Kinto. Correct. Uh, this is a global program. Uh, and it's so funny how I don't hear dealers really talking about this program much, but I'm like, this program could fundamentally threaten, all right, the way dealers sell cars. The manufacturers building the technology into the car at the plant. That's right. Where someone can literally go on their phone and uh, mm, I need a RAV4 for a few hours. Right. And boom, I pull up to the dealership. I unlock and start the car with this. I That's don't right. have to talk to anybody. I don't have to see anybody. And the manufacturer is building this technology inside their cars. So dealers, you got to start having this conversation right away. Now, speaking of autonomous vehicles, I actually took an autonomous taxi when I was in Las Vegas. And um, 100%. Once it's, I, I'll, I'll be, I'll be there. It was, yeah. Like I, I cannot see any issues. I mean, the amount of just productivity I would get from not having to drive, you oh, know, just, just absolutely so much, right? Like, I mean, I drive a lot, right? I, I am. Let's see, I drive about 8,000 kilometers a month. So in miles, it's roughly about wow. 5,000 miles, 5,000 miles a month. I do wow. an oil change every month, right? And um, I have a driver um, because I am trying to stay productive at the exact same time. That sounds really precautious, by the way. Sorry. Um, That's no, it's the smartest thing you can do. But I take Uber and Lyft for the same reason. hundred uh, percent. I won't absolutely. do that though recently. Like, would, yeah. have, have you done, like, I, do, I just feel because the social impact, I don't think I'd jump back into an Uber. I, I, I have simply for what you just said, so many emails to return and phone calls to make, and it's about an hour uh, drive to downtown LA for me, although it's less because of COVID today, but I, <laughs> that getting that extra time going to the office and coming back, it's, it's well worth the 30 or 40 bucks that it, it takes to pay for their transportation. But again, dealers, dealers will own this. And they got to do it quickly, as you accurately stated. If they don't, the manufacturers will. And they, the Kinto Share program from Toyota, it, you know, it, it is operated by Toyota. All they do is they lease dealership parking spaces. I know it's not beautiful. Like, I mean, yeah, it, it's scary, but beautiful at the same time. <laughs> it is, except the dealer's getting a fraction of the revenue. I know. <laughs> right? So the dealer, now, fortunately, there's companies like Clutch that hire cars a partner with Clutch Technologies. And they, they license to dealers all the technology they need to get into subscription, leisure rental. We partner with them for the commercial rental, people that want to rent a car for ride share and food package delivery, Amazon trucks, all that. But anyway, dealers can, can get this for really inexpensive money. It's, it might be 1800 bucks a month, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's found business because these people will, a good percentage, buy cars. And what we certainly know is it increases your service business as well. Uh, and it feeds the whole ecosystem. You get trade-ins, but, but I, I implore and, dealers. And I feel like right now, like right now, Brian, like this is the time. It is. Like that snowball of change started to roll 
and I hope that it continues to roll. Yeah. Uh, the changes, like you were talking about earlier, the changes with the fintech companies and those new fintech companies that are coming out and they're looking beyond just the FICO score or your credit yes. score or your income. They're looking at all of your behavior collectively together. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, it, it, everything's like primed. Like it's just, it is literally the right time and moment for this to have this. And I just, I know I keep beating this over the head, but yet we have to start having these conversations inside these dealer meetings. Um, look, we're, we're, look, as an industry, we're not known for being proactive. Yeah. <laughs> well, because proactive, <laughs> well, proactive tends to be expensive, right? Yeah, that's true. You look at you look at these startups, and you know, eighty percent of them fail, and a car dealership has to feed the mouth every month. So, but again, being a close follower isn't bad. Uh, where they can pick up technology dirt cheap after someone spent a billion dollars making it, and exactly. that's what's happening right now. It, it is. It's happening right now, and um, you know got to have these conversations, conversations you have at the dealership level. I look, Brian, I know it's the uh, tail end of our time today. And uh, man, this went fast. Um, and we touched on some Fun. subjects that we could easily go oh, on. We got more yeah. later on. Let's <laughs> we, do this again soon. We're definitely going to have to do this again soon. Uh, I, I'm going to leave one plug with you. Please do. Digital license plates are coming and dealers are going to benefit Ooh. from that for, for revenue streams that are so unique. Um, but maybe that could be the start of a topic uh, at our next meeting. Digital license plates. Digital okay, now license you, now plates. You, now, now I'm going to have to go Google something right after this. Yeah, go go I'm, to Reviver. <laughs> go to Reviver.com. R-E-V-I-V-E-R.com. That, that Check is it out. cool. You They're know? coming. It's coming. California. But, California and Arizona right now. Is that, is that, I was going to say who's going to launch it first. It's already launched in California and Arizona, fully integrated with the DMV, and they look amazing. Wow. Uh, outside of all that, you never have to go to the DMV to renew anything. No tags on the license plates to be stolen or get, uh, you know, um, disfigured, whatever. Uh, but then 15 states are rolling by the middle of next year. And international, Dubai just ordered a million of them. But and and you could put little messages on them. It's it's go to reviver.com, check it out. It's I, I am dealers to I'm totally gonna check that out. You know, here yeah. here in Ontario, we actually came out with a new design and uh all of the um, uh, police cameras uh, could not actually picture capture the new designs. Oh. So they actually <laughs> had to recall every single plate out there with this new oh design. My goodness. And it's costing the government just an ungodly oh. amount of money and everyone's kind of like who who got fired over this one like wow. talk about it seriously so that's actually pretty cool i'm going to check that out well, well to your point that one of the biggest uh, proponents of the digital plates are the government because for example california spends somewhere north of 30 million dollars a mailing hard plates and <laughs> and that doesn't include producing them now they've got prisoners that produce the plates so the labor is pretty cheap <laughs> yeah. but uh uh, the funny thing is, is you think of mailing tags and, and also when it's a digital process, people pay more timely because they get reminded, hey, time to renew your plate. You press a button, the new tags digitally show up on your license plate. Pretty slick. It is very cool. You know what? It's a super exciting time to be in our industry. It is. Like, like it like, really is. Like, I mean, you've been in it a lot longer than I have, but I mean, I'm so glad that I got into it when I got into it. And it's like in the last 15 years, almost 18 years, I guess, you know, I've seen everything kind of grow and get bigger. And it's like, but this is the time. Like, it is 
really really exciting there's just so much going on uh but brian before i let you go though for everybody that's been watching and listening and uh, they're probably just hungry for more to be honest with you <laughs> because we've, we've pretty much just given them little morsels of some amazing topics what is the best way for someone to connect with you well, if they look on LinkedIn, Brian Allen, A-L-L-A-N, uh, I have my mobile number, email. It's pretty simple. B, uh, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at respective.io, R-E-S-P-E-C-T-I-V-E.io. And my mobile number is on LinkedIn. And uh, I love to share ideas and, and revenue opportunities. And it's, um, it, it, as you said, it's it's almost like, the digital version of the industrial revolution in yeah. 1900. And it's just, you know, Elon Musk is probably what Henry Ford, uh, Albert Einstein, and uh, whatever his name was, Von Braun, all of them put together. Yep. Uh, and, and we're alive to see all this amazing stuff happen. Uh, the tragedy is the pandemic, but the pandemic's going to make us all better. And, uh, you know, God bless everybody to get through it. And you know what? Like, I, I couldn't have said it any better. Um, let's keep that momentum. Let's keep that snowball of change moving. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This thank has you. been a ton of fun. You have yourself an amazing day. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.